Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio Show. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer Speaks resource website, blog, and radio. And it's my passion to educate the world about Alzheimer's disease and memory loss. And that came to me through my mother's 30-year journey with memory loss. For those of you that are new to our show, I want to just give you a brief introduction as to Alzheimer's Speaks. Our goal is to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss and empower them to live purpose-filled lives. We want to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with Alzheimer's disease. Our channel expert living with the disease himself, Rick Phelps, I believe is going to be unable to make it on the show today, but if he pops in, we will definitely pull him onto the wire so that you can uh, talk to Rick as well. On our homepage, again, you'll find links to contact us if you have any questions um, or comments. We would love to hear from you. And today, um, I am so excited with the guests that we have on today. Um, we spoke, um, oh, about a week and a half ago, I suppose, maybe two weeks. Time passes so quickly these days, the older I get. Um, and they just have an absolutely fabulous story to share. Um, be, but before I introduce them, I just want to, again, encourage you, if you have questions or comments during the show, to please um, just make a note in the chat box. I will be reviewing that as we are on the show live. Or you can always call into the show and ask your question on the air. And that number is 714 That's 714-364-4757. And if you have a question or comment, um, you'll need to push 1 so that you get into the queue and then I'll know that you're there. So with no further ado, I want to introduce our guest today. We are so lucky to have with us Jonathan Neville and Carlin Reed. Both are actors, dancers, and creative minds making a huge difference in shifting how care is delivered to those we love and care for. Jonathan cares for his mom, Christine, who has Alzheimer's disease, and he openly admits um, that he had no love for his mom, no connection, and then he discovered contact dance. Carleen um, cares for her son, Kirk, And she found that through letting go, they're both able to begin again. Who would have ever thought through the ironic um, episodes of play, funny dance, aerobics, that these two actors and dancers could find a peaceful and promising answer to giving care. Their intense drama overlays science, dance intelligence, um, caregiving, and it just ignites Um, a profound change within one who is able to um, participate in their venue. So thank you both so much for coming on the show. Um, I'll give you a little more background on each of them. Um, Carlin um, Reed is founder of Imagiscape Theater and co-director with Jonathan. She's an actor, a dancer, a playwright, and Director in Community and Professional Theater. Formerly a high school teacher in history, English, and law, 
and drama, but now she currently works with kids um, in a church in Scarborough. Um, in her theater work, she loves to explore the upside-down, inside-out experiences of faith. And I just love how she, how she wrote that because I can just picture that myself. Her most recent learning curve is soaring through the heights of swing dance and its connection with that in which we believe. Carlin um, also cares for her son, um, again, Kirk, um, who is slowly recovering from a 14-year complex pain nightmare, um, turning that experience basically into a stage show in a documentary called Let's Play House. Now, Jonathan, on the other hand, is also an actor, a dancer, and co-director with her, and he also works for other companies um, in productions um, throughout. But he terms himself, I, I just love I asked him to describe, you know, who he is, and he threw out some, some phrases that kind of sum him up. He says he plays with Alzheimer's, and it's his 12th anniversary coming up. He answers when his mom calls him mommy, he sleeps with his mother. He imagines home as an ecosystem within an ecosystem. He imposes constraints and disabilities to discover other abilities. I just think that was so beautiful. And he has turned what he calls a free market relationship into co-creating friendships. So together, I just I want to welcome you both. Um, Carlene, is there anything else that you would like to add um, uh, to your background? No, I, you've uh, told me so much, even I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how about you, Jonathan? Anything you would like to add at all? Um, I, I think that uh, that I, I renovate my house. <laughs> But that's not entirely relevant. But but, it, but in some ways, it's part of my journey because uh, uh, it's hard to uh, re-roof your house when your mom uh, has Alzheimer's and she's concerned about with every bang. She's wondering what is that. So yeah, that's part of my Alzheimer's story too. Yeah, I I can imagine that would be difficult um, yes. in terms of and just because everything's out of sorts and patterns and routines are usually so helpful and. The banging and the pounding is probably not a real calming effect. <laughs> no, 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 and, and, and sure, I'll, 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 I'll go with that for just a second more. Um, I, so I got a um, what do you call the walkie-talkies, uh, uh-huh. but of course with a walkie-talkie, uh, at least the ones I was able to find, um, uh, she had to be able to press the button to speak. Okay. Um, it, sure. I, I, I didn't find uh, one that was constantly on. Um, uh, and and I tried strapping it with tape and something, pressing it in, but I don't know, somehow that wouldn't work. So that didn't really work either. So I'd be on the roof and trying to communicate to mom that it's okay, but that didn't work. Anyway, that's one little episode. <laughs> well, good. I wanted to um, ask you, Jonathan, if you could explain to people what you mean with uh, an ecosystem within an ecosystem. Okay, sure. Um, well, it started. Uh, um, we moved into this house uh, 20 years ago, and uh, it had a garden, which was pretty plain at the time. And uh, I, um, just, I just, I started gardening, and I rather loved it. Um, 
I found that when I was gardening, I was uh, I was kind of gardening myself. That's one way of thinking about it. Um, and and uh, and I, uh, especially as moms as moms started developing Alzheimer's, I wanted to make the garden really nice so that mom could have uh, what I considered. Uh, um, what do they call it for for TV units uh, and a surround sound entertainment system? Okay. Uh, yeah. So I cr I tried to make the garden into something like that where mom could just just uh, be immersed in this uh, rich environment. Um, and um, so uh, so that's uh, an exterior aspect of uh, ecosystems. But then also I was um, like actually doing. Uh, bringing some of that garden indoors. Uh, certainly in the winter, lots of my plants that are in pots come indoors, uh, but I have others that are around all, all year round. Uh, but more than that, beyond that, it's um, about seeing uh, your home uh, as, a, um, as a system, um, uh, seeing the flows and patterns uh, that uh, do exist and could exist. And um, and enjoying that um, on, on different levels. One is one is the purely ecological level. Um, thinking about how your home can uh, be um, integrated into uh, a, a healthy ecosystem. How how your home can be kind of a role model for um, for um, uh, for homes everywhere. And that's something that actually uh, engaged uh, mom as we, uh, instead of just living day by day uh, in its, uh, in a totally um, standard, standardized way, we were exploring how can we live differently? How can we make food differently? How can we uh, generate el electricity differently? Um, all that kind of thing, and so it became something that was actually uh, engaging for mom. So it was part of my caregiving. Okay, great. Now, um, Carolyn, can you tell us a little bit about your story? Because yours isn't Alzheimer's related or memory loss, but it it's so. When we were talking, it so ties in just to the whole general category of giving care in, in your story has so many lessons to teach. Can you give people a little more background about your journey and the path that you went on? Mm, sure. And, uh, and Lori, I, I agree with you that uh, caregiving is kind of generic no matter what the uh, condition that we're dealing with. And uh, this is why Jonathan and I were able to uh, connect so readily because we we really understood one another and the kind of uh, caregiving issues that we were dealing with. So for me, uh, my son um, in his uh, mid twenties uh, was going to a particular college and uh, he was playing soccer and he kicked the ball, I guess, really hard with his right foot and uh, pulled a muscle in his groin. And, uh, you know, when he came home, it was um, sore and he was limping a little bit. But, you know, you kind of treat things like that, like uh, it's not a, a big crisis. It's something that uh, will heal. He's a young man, you know, that's what those things do. 
the problem is it didn't really heal well. And uh, it just sort of up and down, see the physiotherapist. And then uh, one day uh, my husband came home and uh, saw Kirk crawling up the stairs. And David said, you know, well, like, what's wrong? And Kirk said, well, I'm just in so much pain. And, you know, he, he's not one to complain, and he was just sort of uh, going to classes and limping along, but then it, it was just getting worse and worse. So uh, it took him to emergency, and, and that got him into the medical system where he would see one and then the other, then another. And, uh, uh, again, we thought, well, we're going to get to the bottom of this. It's uh, going to be pretty clear pretty fast what's going on, and then we're just going to fix it. Um, but it... Uh, it began to take hold of him at uh, deeper levels that, um, you know, he, he was limping and then he had to use a cane. Um, and then after a while, the pain was enough. He was uh, teaching guitar lessons uh, at the time as well as going to school. And uh, uh, then he had to stop that. So his his life began to shrink. Uh, he went from uh, cane to crutches. Again, we thought it was uh, temporary, but it uh, everything was becoming very long-term. And all the different uh, experts would check something, and nothing would show that we could do something about. So it, it became, gra- it was sort of a gradual uh, panic, I would say, that kind of settled in. And in the meantime, Kirk was getting worse. He was having to lie down on the couch longer and longer, and then he couldn't eat uh, because uh, the the pole in his groin had spread to uh, his gut level, his his uh, his uh, back, lower back area. Sometimes he could hardly breathe because it was pulling on muscles across the left side of his chest. Uh, he started losing weight, uh, like gross. He had weight. been, um, uh, if I can say this, like just the, the, uh, his body was just so uh, like every guy would dream to have a body <laughs> like that. Uh, yeah, I'm still envious. Anyway. <laughs> He's very fit athlete uh, and musician, um, and eventually he couldn't uh, teach. Teach uh, guitar. And he was, down to, he was down to 96 pounds. Yeah. His lowest weight was 96 pounds, and his highest was around 150. So, but throughout that whole process of going down, you know, in the meantime, we're trying doctor after doctor after doctor and finding no help. And the surprise that we had was that, you know, once, a doc, once we passed through a doctor's hands, then it was kind of, we were sort of left in limbo again and then back to our uh, family doctor, and then off to another uh, specialist. And then finally, you know, she'd run out of specialists, and uh, like, where do we go now? And in the meantime, Kirk's getting worse. So that's the background. And so when Jonathan and I met uh, at, at one of the, the dance uh, community events, uh, that's where I was. I was in uh, entering uh, an, a state of overwhelm, um, um, sort of uh, a pessimism that uh, we can't find help. Uh, I don't know where to turn. So just to give you that background. And it's it's so hard because when there aren't answers and you're going to the doctors and it's so frustrating and it's like there's no communication because you're not getting answers. I mean, if there is communication or not, it feels like there is none. Because it's not 
fit. Right. And and just let you know, um, one doctor that we saw, uh, because I was trying to make sure that she got all the information about Kirk, and at that point, Kirk wasn't even able to talk, and, you know, just a little bit of whispering and so on, and it uh, took a lot out of him, so I was trying to fill in information. And in the end, what she wrote in her report was that I was, uh, quote, an over-anxious parent. So I felt <laughs> insulted and dismissed and um, shushed and, uh, you know, ineffective. So I was feeling like a huge failure. You know, as a mother, you think that you can do whatever is, is needed for your child, even when the child is uh, grown up. And I couldn't. I, I, well, I, I'd run out of all resources. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you're, when you're being dismissed like that and when you're seeing your child almost half his weight... Yeah. Going, you know, and and then them pushing you off, saying you know you're overly anxious. It's like, excuse me, I know the whole person here. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're not, yeah. you're not connecting the dots. There's yeah. an issue. I had that with my my dad when he was in the hospital with brain cancer, and he almost died. And they kept saying he's fine, he's fine. I'm like, he is not fine. Right. Yeah, he exactly. is and slipping fast. And yes. so I I think it's it's so important for us to stand up and be true advocates because we know the people that we love and care for and we have to have that voice be heard and even though your son doesn't have memory loss there is still that lack of communication or shift in terms of who the person once was to who they are now that you have to grapple with and learn learn new ways and And, and so um, yeah he's dealing with loss in terms of uh, body movement, uh, and mm-hmm. also the ability to do what he did best, which was his music. So the losses yep. were just so glaring in front of us. He wasn't even able to hold his guitar for seven years. He wasn't able to pick it up. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It, that's that's a, an incredible journey, and it's, it's one that ties in with any type of chronic illness. It's exactly. that loss. Yeah. And, and the sense of getting worse. Loss. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and, and the sense of, you know, as a as a parent or a son or a daughter or a spouse, it's you know feeling that you should be able to fix it. Oh right. Um, and and then the the guilt when you're not able to and the frustration, mm-hmm. and then from the the patient's side point, which is a, I think just a beautiful story that, that um, you'll share with us maybe a little bit later, of when you um, found out what was really going on in your son's mind, that you had no idea yeah. um, was, was happening, and you guys just had this beautiful revelation, and it was, it was basically, you know, when you explained it to me, it was like the last straw. It was like, okay, we're down to the wire. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to step on this side of the line and see what happens because over yeah. here it's just not working. Right. And I want so. to add. I want to add one more word to the feelings, uh, Lori. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you're feeling inadequate and all that. And there's shame. There's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, shame on me as a mother for not being able to find the solution to uh, Kirk's problem. Yeah, and and that's a huge burden. Mm-hmm. That we put on ourselves, and yeah. and I think a lot of times we put it on ourselves even more so than we think others are. Oh, of course, but I yes. know, I know for myself, I always thought, 
in the back of my mind. And I was always one who was pretty carefree, and I, I would say that I, it really didn't bother me what people thought, but I always knew. I always you know, <laughs> it was a pretty good read of people and, and you know, what their eyes were telling me or their, their body language or whatever. Um, you know, you can you just pick up on that stuff. And, mm-hmm. and then for me, you know, I have a wonderful critic inside that runs my house, and <laughs> it just takes out the magnifying glass and yeah. looks at it and blows it up and just, you know, wants to destroy my soul sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's getting a handle on that yeah. um, and putting it all into into perspective. Now, Jonathan, can you tell us a little bit more um, history with your mom, um, kind of go back to how this all started? What were your plans in life? Because I'm, I'm sure this probably wasn't written into the script originally. <laughs> right, you. right, right, right. Um, so sure. can you give us a little more background as to your your journey? Okay. Um, I uh, I'll, where should I begin? I'll, I'll start fairly young. I'll start with uh, um, I, uh, my mom is a single mom, and uh, I'm the only child. And uh, so yeah, we were. Uh, uh, I, I guess I loved my mom quite quite a lot uh, when I was a kid. Uh, she was the uh, center of my life, and I was the center of her life. Um, then, oh, teenager years arose, arrived, and um, um, I was I was still a good kid, but uh, but I tended to uh, uh, not enjoy being around mom, um, and she felt that like um, most teenagers, yes, yes. <laughs> they find so, their own peers, yeah. and that's right. So nothing too, nothing too drastic there, but. Um, but uh, I, I did kind of um, uh, not have much in the way of respect or love for mom at that time, um, and uh, and at times it got worse. Um, and uh, then um, I had just I'd graduated. Well, actually, no, I was I was going to university, and when I come, would come home, I started noticing that mom was doing a lot of talking to herself. I don't know if that's in any way a common thing with Alzheimer's. I'm not aware that it is, um, but uh, it's, I, I mean, it's not just a little bit of talking to herself. She was doing a lot, and mm-hmm. at first I, cho- I chalked it up to uh, her being alone in the house. Um, but uh, then it was probably a couple years later before she uh, started doing a, um, uh a lot of forgetting the the, na- the names for things, and at that time we had uh, raccoons uh, very regularly um, on our back deck, and uh, she was always calling them walruses, and she knew it was the wrong word, but she couldn't figure out the right word. Um, Those are big raccoons. <laughs> yeah, a walrus. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, that's just one example where I started get, getting becoming aware that. Uh, uh, she seemed to be having some problems with her memory. Um, she had been uh, uh, doing a lot of complaining about work, about uh, the new computer systems, and uh, that can easily be, be dismissed as just um, um, a thing that um, I myself can relate to that. Um, uh, anybody can relate to a new system coming into place. But uh, it seemed that uh, some of her complaints about work I was wondering if they were uh, related to uh, something like Alzheimer's. And, yeah, it soon became pretty apparent to me that that was exactly what was going on. Um, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll look, uh, but it took a couple of years before I decided to actually um, get it diagnosed. 
In fact, uh, I was, at that time in our relationship, I was um, uh, of the, uh, I, I had the fear that if I had suggested, if I had taken mom to the doctors and got the diagnosis, that she would, in some uh, perverse logic, uh, she would feel that I had brought it upon her. And so I wanted to wait for her to uh, make that call. And uh, so that took a couple of years, but she did. And um, and so we went to there. Um, okay, so that's the background. Okay. And then um, when you when you got the diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, the formal diagnosis, what went through your mind at that point then? And how did uh, your mom react? Um nothing much went through my mind until i saw mom's reaction and how uh, how that uh interplayed with the doctor so the doctor was uh uh giving um recommendations of uh how mom could continue to uh live a good life and could continue to um to uh grow her her cognitive capacity um her um uh, cognitive reserve is a technical term for it um which would mean that she could uh, delay the the effects of the alzheimer's and that was if she were to engage in uh, uh possibly uh, le- uh attending a dance class or reading books or um or uh returning to um to french uh or um um or or pursuing any kind of interest or and and uh, engaging in social activities and mom, uh, for every single thing he brought up, uh, she had some reason why she could not do that. And uh, this is in many ways typical of of mom's character, at least at that time. Well, for the for like all the all her mature life that I that I had known her. Um, and I was uh, somewhat amused and somewhat disheartened uh uh seeing the doctor's uh, response to uh this because he was really perplexed about how how he could help her uh when uh, as he ultimately said to me her, her problem is her problem is not in some ways it's not so much the alzheimer's it's her her problem is her um and uh yeah, so that's what uh, that's what the beginning of the Alzheimer's story was about for me. Okay, well that's uh, that's interesting. As a as a young person, can you share how old you were? Um, yeah, when I was all... right. So um, uh, when I first started noticing symptoms, I was probably twenty one, uh, maybe twenty, um, and uh, when. Um, yeah, yeah. Um and when uh uh when I myself decided this is Alzheimer's without a doubt, um I guess I would have been um sort of mean about uh, 24, 25 and uh official diagnosis 26 or so. Wow, that's that's a huge um a huge impact, you know, cuz most of us you know, we we still see the disease as being in older people and affecting, mm-hmm. um, you know, adult children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as much as you were an adult, I mean, that is just a huge shift to have to think of, boy, I've really got to kind of look after my parent at this point. And, 
Uh, and there's more and more people out there in your situation. I just don't think they're talking about it quite as much, um, but we really need to raise awareness that this this is not a disease of just old people. This is a disease of, of all ages, yeah, and it yeah. affects all generations. Yeah, um, totally. It affects more than just the the nuclear you know, family unit. It affects friends and family and coworkers mm-hmm. and our communities at large in terms of how we how we deal um with how we give care and how we discuss it and how we communicate. And one of the things that I loved about your two journeys is how two different stories came together and you found these similarities in terms of how do I survive this process and how do I give care to myself while still caring for somebody else? And and then you brought it to a whole other level in terms of bringing it to a production and all the different variables um, that you're now doing. And maybe we should just um, tell people kind of the different venues that you have and then we can break down each one. So, you know, to start, you've got the Let, the Let's Play House production. And, um, Carlin, could you tell us a little bit more about Let's Play House and how that came to be? Um, when Jonathan and I, uh, we first met, as I said, on the dance floor, so we were getting to know each other's, other as dancers. Uh, and then uh, I... Uh, I'd been working on, uh, I'd written uh, another script, and I was looking for an actor to work with me who could also dance. And uh, I had um, announced this at the dance jam, and uh, Jonathan thought, well, maybe he could. (laughs) But uh, Mm -hmm. he he was just, uh, he, in my mind, he just didn't uh, fit the the description that I had. I needed someone a little bit older, looked a little more sort of corporate kind of a guy. Uh, and he mm-hmm. just looked like this young dancer. <laughs> uh, I like corporate. Yeah. I like wonderfully corporate. <laughs> well, I, I found that out. Uh, at first I dismissed him, and then um, if I could just uh, tell a little story about uh, uh, Jonathan invited uh, several of us to this uh, show that he had previously seen called Job the Hip Hop Musical. He loved this show, and he invited several of us after the jam, so uh, a little crew of us went and then discovered that the show was sold out. We, we were there over an hour beforehand, but still sold it, out. It was sold out, and he felt very bad. He felt very responsible for this whole group. And uh, several people just left, and uh, but he put our names in, or his name in, and just in case the seats opened up. And uh, while we were waiting in the lobby, again, he felt responsible for this outing. So he started to tell us about the show and started playing all the parts in this show. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at this guy, and I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, he's pretty darn good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, uh, a, a few of us did manage to get into the show, and the show was great, but it, the show wasn't any better than what Jonathan had already uh, uh, acted out in the lobby. It was so great. <laughs> So afterwards, I said to Jonathan, uh, you know, maybe we should talk. So uh, we we talked and then uh, had a couple of rehearsals together just to see how we worked together, and uh, and it was great. So I knew that I could uh, trust this person. So we worked on that show. It was another show called uh, Man and Woman. Um, uh, but 
in in rehearsal process for performers, uh, you know, we work on the material that we have, and usually the material that we're working on, you know, has a lot of uh, deep personal stuff in it. And it was in one of those scenes we were uh, rehearsing a dance, uh, uh, sorry, uh, a fight scene that we were choreographing, and so it was very physical and um, uh, uh, demanding and. Uh, uh, but in the middle of that, Jonathan uh, just stopped and he said, wait a minute, I've got to, I've got to stop this. Uh, this reminds me of a fight I had this morning with my mother. And I said, not physically, but, you know, the intensity of it. And mm-hmm. that's, uh, so we sat down and talked, and that's when I found out that uh, uh, he was caregiver for his mom who had Alzheimer's. And there was just this whole um breakdown of communication on this issue that they had that morning. Well, that opened up the conversation on caregiving. And, you know, gradually over the next few weeks, you know, I was saying, well, you know, I'm a caregiver too. You know, I began to see that we're both sort of in the same world. Uh, And uh, we did a few performances of that show plus some others. And then it was one day that uh, I just looked at Jonathan and I said that we have to do, we have to create a show about our caregiving stories. And he just said, I know. And that's how wow. it started. Uh, so it's, uh, we've had a, a, a very, you know, we were very much in tune with one another uh, by that point. So um, we uh, began to search out some uh, grant money, uh and and we had our first collaborative writing together, uh, just writing for a grant, and we got a little bit of money on condition that we raised the rest of the budget. Uh, so that was like, oh, no, where do we go now? So um, we found uh, somebody who wanted to invest in this. Again, someone who um, had, uh, his wife had Alzheimer's, and uh, she was in a nursing home, and, you know, he was dealing with a lot, but he wanted to support our project, so he came in, and then he asked, you know, what else can we put into this that will make it even stronger, and uh, we started talking about uh, putting it together as a documentary as well to uh, document our process of putting this show together. Uh, so then that's how we actually began. And the show, uh, we started uh, just getting together and just writing, bringing stories from home. And I, wow. have, to, and I have to tell you, Lori, that sometimes when we, we sat down together, uh, you know, the, the pain of the stories plus the pain of trying to decide what should be in this, this show uh, it, it, sometimes it was just too much, uh, you know, feeling like a failure at home, plus uh, we can't get all these stories together to make sense and feel like a failure in that, you know, there's so many times when I just said, you know, I, I can't do this, it's just too much. But uh, somehow we kept uh, coming out of it and keep going, keep going, keep going, and digging, digging, digging. Excavation of your own life is a very painful process. But that's what we did. Uh, but we uh, and we challenged each other. Uh, you know, um, Jonathan would bring in a story about uh, Christine. I would start to act out Christine's role. But then, see, I would get inside Christine, and Jonathan, uh-huh. of course, he was inside his own uh, sense of what was going on. But I was feeling Christine's pain, 
and then we could we could play that out. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about getting into character of the other person? Because I think that's something that we a lot of times forget because we're so wrapped in our own pain and our own needs. And even though we can see somebody in pain or discomfort, there's there's a difference between seeing it and feeling it. Because I think once you feel it, there it's just easier to make that shift to change things. And that's my personal experience anyways. Yeah. Well, I have to say, you know, uh, I mean, we were observing each other in our homes. Uh, Jonathan would come up to my house and I'd I'd spend time here. And, uh, you know, we would see each other in action, so to speak, you know, Mm -hmm. in our own homes and elements and just how we responded. So we were beginning to pick up more and more nuances. Um, and I was observing Christine because I knew, that, uh, I mean, I was interested, but uh, one of the things, I knew that I would be playing her in the show. Uh, and when we would go, go at a scene, I remember one in which um, um, Jonathan was upset with Christine and there was just a breakdown of uh, communication. And uh, I just finally got angry with him and frustrated with him as Christine, you know, and, and just saying, you, 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 you tell me to do one thing and yet, you know, you know I, I can't, I can't understand. Uh, you know, you think you're explaining something to me, but I just don't get it. I, I don't know how this fits into that and I'm trying my best and yet you, you still seem to think that I can do it. And so I just going round and round inside of her uh, in some of the pain that she must feel. And just feeling that, you know, you don't even want me around. You just seem to be disgusted with me all the time. Uh, and then finally, I, uh, I just I just left, you know, in the scene and rehearsal, mm-hmm. and I'm going. And he's saying, okay, go, and I'm packing a few things, and, you know, I'm standing at the door and saying goodbye, you know, basically have a good life. And uh, he's sort of standing at the door looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and we both started crying, you know. It's, um, uh-huh. You know, you just get in touch with deeper feelings when you allow yourself to go into the moment. And the uh, thinking of things that I hadn't heard Christine specifically say or Jonathan even specifically say, but just sort of picking that up. And if we take what we're saying at home and and and, and take it to its logical conclusion, this is where that energy is going. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it 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 just becomes uh, um, you know something that we don't want. So if we don't want that ending, then we have to go back. And what kind of changes do we have to make earlier in the scene? So that's not where we end up. Sure, sure. And it, it is funny how all of a sudden you just you know you can feel that shift and you can see where it's going. Jonathan, how did you feel when when that was happening? I mean, you know, Carolyn, you said that, you you, you know, you both broke down and just kind of cried. It's just like, was there just a whole shift in you going, I I didn't realize that's probably what what mom was feeling this whole time? Well, uh, interesting you would bring this up because I don't remember that moment. (laughs) 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 Um, And, and, yeah, this is the first time Carlin has uh, told – that story, uh, so I, 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 I've never processed that, I, I mean, except I guess when it originally happened, but um, 
so yeah, um, I, I, I could I could talk about um, uh, me experience, uh, playing the role of Kirk and something that happened there. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's I'm I'm keen to do that. Um, uh, so when well, if I can just oh, interject, sure. I, I mean, I remember some of the expression on, on Jonathan's face mm-hmm. as I'm I'm saying these things, and it's it's like who are you? I don't you know. Uh, of course, Christine had never articulated these right. things, right? Uh, sure. And so it would almost seem foreign to him. So it was. Uh, um, and yet, uh, and yet, I, I, I can imagine from from other times that I sort of, that I have a bit more clarity of remembering um, that uh, uh, even if it wasn't something that Mom had said, then uh, um, it, Carlin was definitely articulating what was quite likely inside of Mom. Yeah, and uh, inside of her, and in her in her Alzheimer's state, you know, not being able to articulate a number of things, she might not have been mm-hmm. able to articulate some of these things, but sort of picking mm-hmm. up at that you know, unconscious level in how she might be feeling about herself. And I knew that she was feeling very negatively and very badly about herself. Sure, sure. I just want to make a comment. It looks like somebody had called in and then they hung up. And um, in order for me to know if you really want to ask a question, you as a caller, you have to push one um, and then, like, raise this little hand for me so that I will know um, that you want to want to get on the call live. Um, if you don't do that, then um, oh, you know what? I can grab it because I know who's who's on. Oh no, I don't. That's a different thing. But let me let me just grab this caller because, and we'll see. Hello, is this someone from a seven seven three number? Hello, are you with us? Nope, they hung up. Okay, well we'll just keep moving on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Apparently they. Didn't want to talk. Sometimes people aren't quite sure of the technology on, on how to work it or not. So um, I wanted to give them an opportunity if they had a, had a question. Um, Jonathan, why don't you go ahead and share a story when you were role-playing and being um, Kirk and what transpired there and, and uh, I'll just yeah. let you explain it. We'll kind of go from there. Okay. Um, well, uh, I, I just wanted to say that um, uh, in... Um, the the creative process uh gave kirk an opportunity to explore uh himself explore yeah himself um in ways which he hadn't i don't believe been able to uh explore in his visits with psychiatrists or um medical other other medical professionals um because uh, for example as i was playing him um he would uh he would hear um um offerings about uh what m- ways in which uh uh what might be affecting him uh that uh, he might not have thought of uh, otherwise um and more even more than that um in the uh he had learned in his experience with the medical system at that time he had become i think quite defensive um uh and this gave him an opportunity to explore questions about if there were some ways in which he was um 
um, not, not I'm not sure if I can say contributing to the problem, um, but uh, it gave him an opportunity to explore some of some issues uh, in a creative way, so that uh, instead of being in defensive mode, he entered into creative mode, and together we explored possibilities about uh, who his character was. So sort of the, the putting uh, yourself into a character um, allows you to, to explore who you are with perhaps a little more freedom. And that's okay. some, of, some of what I experienced with Kirk. Okay. Now, um, can you give us, you know, how you've kind of applied this creative piece to working um, and loving at home with your mom and your son? And I don't know, either either one of you can jump in and and kind of talk about that because you've you've definitely shifted. Um, but how did you make that shift with them? Are there different things that you have done in terms of your care delivery or priorities of what's important in your life? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think we're both chomping at the bit on this one. Go, go ahead, Carolyn. Oh. Okay. Well. Go ahead. Okay. Um, but but I want to have some things to say later too. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Because it, it, it's a, it's a prime question. Um, yep. Okay, so uh, so I was saying earlier how uh, the initial uh, state of things, the doctor himself was was quite um, taken aback by the the extent of mom's negativity, and um, and. I, I would say that in many ways the early years were the harder years. Um, I wasn't. Uh, I it wasn't. I didn't need to do as as much uh, physical care. Uh, I didn't need to be toileting, toileting her uh, or anything early on. But uh, she was in more of an emotional distress. I would say earlier on, um, and. Uh, we when we started uh there was this one time when she was um for about a, a week she'd been prefacing almost every statement with i'm sure i've told you this before but and, and like it was it was absolutely fascinating how almost every single sentence she would say some variation upon that um, uh, I probably said this to you before, but uh, and then she'd go on to say it, and and I asked, and sometimes uh, I would have friends over, and she would launch into um, either her story of of uh, of who she is, um, it, which which is a very defensive story, the story that she always told about uh, despite my parents, I did a great things with my life. Um, but it really came across as a as a complaint. Basically, my point is that um, whether they were my friends or her friends, maybe even especially her friends, her defense mechanisms made other people uncomfortable. So she was trying to uh, she was trying to manage the situation, trying to make people think that everything's okay. And mm -hmm. it was kind of backfiring. And so this, this one week, she'd been prefacing almost every statement with, uh, I'm sure I've told you this before, but... And so at one point I said to her, 
mom. Or... Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd like Jonathan to give you an example of it being possible for her to have said this before because it was a very current thing that she was talking about. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so sometimes it would be um, like um, a bird uh, arrived uh, uh, right on the windowsill, and birds never sit on the windowsill. But this was one time a bird actually arrived on the windowsill, and she said to me, I'm sure I've told you this before, but there's a bird on the windowsill. Like, that could never have happened before. Well, I don't know, maybe it could have, but... uh, But it was happening in the moment. But it was definitely in the moment. Um, So... I said, "Mom, you don't. Why? Why do you have to do? Why do you feel you need to do that?" And she said, "She said, I want people to know that I know I have problems with my memory." Okay. And um, and I, I I heard that. I, I understand that. Um, I forget the exact words I used, but um, but uh, basically, it went on to me saying, um, "Mom, you really don't. It, it kind of." Backfires. Uh, sometimes it makes people uncomfortable. I, I'm saying I'm saying this because I love you. And at that mm-hmm. point, um, I, I I really gen- in general did not feel much love for mom, and we both knew that. But I said this because I love you, and I guess it must have come from some place of truth. And we both burst out laughing. <laughs> and. Um, and then the defense mechanism, the defense, automatic defense patterns were gone, and we were able to actually connect, to actually, to actually be with one another and talk with one another. And uh, that was a huge transformation. And, and that, and that's kind of uh, what um, the Let's Play House process was all about. Was about. Um, being able to move from uh, one per, each person having a story about themselves and about the other, and now let's work on our story of our home and uh, together. Together, well, yeah. that's nice. That's nice. And I know my mom used to always say, "Well, you know, I have Alzheimer's." You know, and so she wanted people to know that she knew that she didn't know mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as as well either um, because she just wanted to, you know, clear the slate. Um, but it, for her, the way she did it, I mean, she kind of did it as a joke many times, and so it didn't get people uncomfortable or defensive. But, again, that's it's just everybody's personalities are different and what their yeah. needs are. But that, but that need to say that... You know, I've I've accepted this. I understand. I, I understand it. I don't really appreciate it all the time, but I, I want to move forward um, in truth with this. I think is a huge uh, kind of come to Jesus meeting. You know, that everybody has to have. If it's a patient or if it's a caregiver, you know, we've got to learn to accept what's before us before we can even begin to try to deal with it. Um, yeah, mom wasn't, at the, mom wasn't at that stage at that point, but, uh, but, mm-hmm. yes. but yes. Okay, yeah. okay. And um, Carlene, why don't you tell us a little bit, um, you wanted to jump in here too with a story or two. Okay. Um, uh, I, I think when we started this process, uh, Jonathan was a little clearer in his own mind uh, that mm-hmm. uh, this was a process that was not only creating a play, 
but that the 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 script writing itself that process uh was going to change things at home uh mm-hmm. i I was so depleted and um uh upset you know a lot of the time that and, and very stuck that uh, i I couldn't even uh, have that vision fortunately, Jonathan held that vision throughout uh but uh and I'm glad that he did because that's exactly what happened um uh, in the process of bringing our home stories into the rehearsal and script writing uh began to feed back into our homes so uh i mean i was highly motivated to have change happen i just didn't know how to do it uh and the only thing that i was trying was taking him to d- different uh, medical practitioners um mm-hmm. but the uh the the theater and dance because we were started to ask so many questions of of uh of that uh that applied at home then things began to shift and it was in for for me personally it was in my process of really looking at contact dance and uh contact dance is a dance form that uh, some of your audience might know but maybe a lot of them wouldn't and it's it's uh uh, a dance with another person by which we you know we might lean on one another and create a shift in our our center of gravity uh which creates a sense of momentum which creates movement which creates more shifting in uh the center of gravity which creates more movement and uh it's it's a very physical kind of a dance it's a very uh in order for it to really work you have to kind of let yourself go and trust uh, you need to uh, be willing to take the weight of another person on you and to give your weight. And all of those uh, take quite a bit of um, uh, practice and, and just trust, uh, getting used to uh, unusual positions. And, uh, you know, for me especially, if I'm belly up and I'm not sure exactly where ground is, that's a very scary position for me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, as I was... Uh, looking at the dance and doing a lot of talking about it uh, in writing script and uh, on camera, I suddenly got the connection that uh, letting go in dance helps the dance to work, helps to create more movement. Uh, And I realized that that's the exact antithesis of what I'm doing at home. I am so attached to this one way of fixing Kirk. In fact, I'm, I'm only attached to fixing him. And my idea of fixing him was to return him to his original uh, glory state, which was um, physically fit, active, uh, walking and talking and uh, making music. And I need, uh, the only thing that I need to do is try to find the person that could help us get the old Kirk back. And I was really stuck in that paradigm. Uh, I, I just didn't seem to be able to shift out of it. Uh, and uh, for some reason, just just because we were all in this process of just digging away all the time, I connected that letting go and dance with letting go at home. And I suddenly came to the realization that I don't know if what's going to happen to Kirk. All I know is that he's going down. He's... Um, uh, one of my friends said that uh, called it failure to thrive, and uh, that's a pretty uh, terminal um, description. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and I realized, 
<clears throat> that um, I, I, I could lose Kirk. And I could be flailing away just trying to get him, uh, you know, the medical person that can help us, and yet I, I would have lost him in that whole process. And I decided I had to let go, and I had to let the dance of life with Kirk um, be its own dance. Um, and I wasn't sure all that that meant. I, I knew that I had to stop doing what I was doing. <clears throat> and... Uh, uh, bring another kind of energy into it. Now, uh, the, the problem with that was that uh, my husband was was attached also to the the way that we were doing things and uh, taking him from one person to another. Um, and, and and every time trying to take Kirk in in uh, to a doctor, such an ordeal for Kirk. Uh, he would be in pain, like he's all he's in constant pain, mm-hmm. and then uh, adding that to it, it would be it would just ramp it to a higher level, uh, both during and for the days thereafter. Yeah, just, mm. just that physical act of, of taking him there. Um, so I had to do a sales job on David uh, before I could even make any other changes, and it took it took a while, but it was summertime. Uh, and I, uh, I finally convinced David to a six-week moratorium that uh, I knew that we were all at an emotional state that was really unhealthy. Uh, Kirk was mm-hmm. going, going down, but our home was going down too. And he mm-hmm. finally agreed to that. That seemed reasonable and uh, that we wouldn't lose too much ground in, in that time period. Uh, so once I got the okay from him, and I remember this moment so clearly because Kirk was lying on the couch. He didn't know that uh, we were having this conversation. But I, I stood over and I announced to Kirk that um, uh, Dad and I have agreed that uh, we're just going to stop uh, running us all ragged by uh, dragging you off to different places and we're just going to just just relax and um, not not do anything, basically not do anything right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, which seems like a, a, a really a bizarre strategy for anything, you know, don't do anything. When it mm-hmm. looks like, when he's going downhill <sighs> and it looks like he could be dead, oh. like I, I was kind of thinking, I it occurred to me I, uh, I could get a phone call any day that he had just died. But, uh-huh. the, but the sign of life on Kirk's face just in that announcement was incredible this 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 little smile on his lips and and his whole face just lightening up and you can imagine ninety six pounds he looked like a withered old man, and yet mm-hmm. this little spark of life that finally the pressure was off him to get better that pressure wow. was, oh. and uh and that gave me hope. That that expression gave me hope. Uh, and then the amazing thing is that when we we remove the strategy that we had been uh, working, namely uh, an attitude, there's an attitude that I had in my heart that, Kirk, you are not acceptable the way you are. Uh, the only acceptable Kirk is the Kirk that I knew, and that's the one that we've got to get back. And so what a judgment on him that who he is now in his suffering and pain is not good enough. And by saying we're going to stop 
trying to fix you. In that, I was saying in my own heart, I love you, Kirk, now for who you are. And wherever this goes, I want to spend time with you that is not has nothing to do with doctor's visits and my uh, judging you. And so I was able to move into a whole space where I was able to really look at my son and see this incredible person for who he is now and just be with him. So that was the uh, the new lifestyle that we entered in that moment and it changed everything. It's an incredible story and I have to say if if people get nothing else out of this radio show but that shift and and hear that story um it, to me that's just life changing because we don't realize the pressure we are putting on people through our our love i mean it's it's like a smothering love yeah. and it's a it's a fear it, it's a, it's a love that's that's driven by fear of loss right and that's such a not not a natural state for love to be in yeah. you know love is supposed to be about presence and abundance and mm-hmm. comfort and we don't realize we're we're shifting that and we're we're tearing at it and we're just tugging it and ripping it to shreds and it's it's killing us with the guilt because we don't think that we're good enough and we're not doing a good enough job. And we project that not only to the person who is ill, but we project it on the others that we're taking them to as well, that the doctors aren't doing everything that they should. And it's just this sick cycle. And when we come to that place and and say, you know what, I better jump in the moment because yeah. I don't know how many more moments or mm-hmm. seconds I have with you. Yeah. And that means more to me than fixing you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the relief, I know when I got to that point with my mom, I call it freeze-framing, but it was where I wanted that old person back. I, I could change. Everything else in the world could change, but she couldn't change because yeah. I liked her this way, you know, right. <laughs> and when I realized how silly that was, um, it was it was like this burden lifted off my shoulders. Right. And then I and then when you saw the the smile and the the light in his eyes, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was almost like a rebirthing oh, in yeah. terms of igniting a passion for him to go. I can go through this process. Whatever the hell it is, I can go yeah. through this now because I know I'm not going to disappoint you anymore, and I exactly. know you're still going to love me. Yeah. And how, what a powerful gift that is to give someone who is ill or struggling. Mm-hmm. And and so, where did his story go from there? Um, and, and you know, where did you guys go as a family? Um, did he, did he continue, you know, to spiral down, or did you start seeing things slowly change? Um, can you tell? You know, I'd like I'd like to hear a little bit more of this story because I think it's just such an important lesson. Well, uh, that moment I I really see as the the turnaround. Now the turnaround was so slow and so gradual. 
but it did, and, and and it turned around in so many ways. I mean, we uh, we can look objectively at Kirk, and he stopped losing weight. Uh, he he'd reached his, his lowest point, uh, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so he was able to maintain. And so we were sort of in a maintenance uh, position for a while, um, but the the shift had to do with the whole household and uh, probably most strongly in the relationship between Kirk and me. Because mm-hmm. whenever you stop doing one thing, it creates uh, a bit of a vacuum and other things are going to start coming in to replace them. Well, now mm-hmm. that I didn't have to be uh, you know, on the phone and uh, uh, you know, fussing, over Kirk, because mm-hmm. there was a lot of even if I, if we weren't off to see a doctor, there was sort of a um, a mental and physical energy that I felt that had to do with just that. Now okay. that was all gone. You know, I didn't have to spend any of my energy or thinking anything on that. So now uh, I began to just listen to Kirk uh, and spend some time with him. Uh, I began to, uh, he could only sit up for a little while, at, a few minutes at a time, like uh, like five or six minutes would be his maximum at his uh, lowest uh, state. Which meant that he never had many meals with a family or anything. No, there's nothing like that. So. Okay. Um, but I, I, was, I made sure that I was just sitting at the table, not with an agenda, with absolutely mm-hmm. no agenda. And I would sit back, and even just the way I sat became different. I was back and relaxed. I put my feet up on the other chair, and then I would just wait. And this is very much like the dance, the contact dance, where we get into a position, because you mentioned fear before. This is a very mm-hmm. fearful um, decision. Uh, oh, yeah. But, uh, but in the dance, what we do, if we enter that fearful um uh, moment in the dance, that position, or you know, I'm on my back or I'm upside down. Instead of fighting against that moment, what we learn to do in contact is to stay with the moment, and mm-hmm. and then find the stability there wherever, whatever little uh, minuscule piece of stability there is, and then find where the momentum is going, and then we follow that pathway down, or we initiate a little something that takes us somewhere. So that's what I was doing. I was staying in the moment. I felt like I was upside down, inside out, but I was going to stay there. And um, Kirk began to talk, uh, or I should say whisper, and Mm -hmm. beginning to talk about the things that were going on inside of him. I mean, we could see the exterior. We could see the weight loss. We could see the uh, his his right foot by this point was purple. His right leg had atrophied into this skinny little bent, almost paralyzed limb that looked nothing like his his left leg, and mm-hmm. uh, the the blood flow in his leg was uh, there just there wasn't much going on at all. So that when when his leg hung down, his foot actually turned this really deep, gross purple. Uh, he couldn't put socks on. He couldn't, you know, he couldn't be. T- it was, it was just a, a grim, a grim-looking picture. So that mm-hmm. was so vivid 
that that's what I got caught up in, and that's what I wanted to fix. I wanted to fix this body. And he couldn't be touched. Mm-hmm. He couldn't be hugged. No, no, I, I couldn't give I couldn't give my son a hug. Oh, because I, he he couldn't be touched. Everything had become sensitized to for pain. Oh wow! Uh, so uh, I did listen, and then his inner life began to spill out just what was going on inside, you know, in very gentle ways, his whole history. And and we needed that space for him to be able to uh, to talk about it. And we began to play. Things began to be funny again. We had lost. There were so many losses in our home. There was no laughter. There was no music. You know, none of that was happening. It was all... We got to fix Kirk. We got to fix Kirk. And now that we yeah. didn't have to fix him, we could live. Uh, Isn't so, that amazing? Oh, and how you don't know, you don't know that that's happened until after you pull back and you go, "Oh my gosh, that's right. how did we get here?" Yeah. How did? We... Yeah. Yeah. It, it was hardly even a home. Um, it yeah. Was, it was so strained. Uh, and uh, Kirk, because he was on the couch watching. Uh, TV, uh, uh, sometimes, uh, he had taken to a cooking channel, and he got interested in cooking, but he couldn't do any of it. Uh, And so he asked me if I would uh, be his hands for him. And uh, so he knew I wanted to just uh, eat healthy stuff. So we baked, we, um, uh, I would do the stuff, but he would tell me. He'd, He'd concoct these little recipes for cookies and cakes and stuff like that so we did it together so finally we were creating together um one day i you know i just said you know kirk i can't even give you a hug i've been feeling this mind there's so much unspoken pain you know that we didn't talk about because the the only thing we talked about was trying to fix him and uh i said is there any way that i can touch you and and finally what we devised was that he could extend his right thumb toward me and I would press my right thumb into his right thumb and we developed what we called a thumb hug. And that was our <laughs> our physical communication. You know, wow. uh, when you create space together, you discover these things. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we were beginning to do. Now, one of the things you had shared with me previously was what kind of thoughts were going through his mind and really what a spiritual journey this mm-hmm. time was for him. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because a lot of times, I mean, we, we think we know what's going on in somebody's yeah. mind. Yeah. Um, if they've got dementia or a chronic illness or whatever's going on, I mean, all we are doing is guessing. Yeah, <laughs> we really, exactly. Yeah, we really well, don't know. But I f- found it very interesting. So, if you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience sure. um, what he, sh- what Kirk shared with you. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> Kirk, um, Kirk had a, a bit of a difficult uh, teenage um, life as well. <clears throat> he. Um, suffered from um, depression and uh, ended up uh, in a hospital for a few months at one point uh, for some uh, young uh, teenagers. Um, 
And uh, he was beginning in this condition uh, just to kind of sort through some of the uh, ways in which he was not dealing with life. And Mm -hmm. uh, because he was spending so much time alone, because he didn't even want yeah, so the friends sort of drift away when you're in this condition. He he had been playing in a band, and uh, they kept, you know, initially it was, well, Kirk can't uh, uh, walk, but he could still play the guitar. So as long as he was functioning, you know, they were, they were there. But eventually he, he couldn't handle it, and he had to pull out. It was That was a huge, uh, difficult uh, decision, but he had no choice in it. Uh, and... Uh, and he saw how awful he looked, and he didn't want anybody to see him like that. So he was pretty isolated, uh, which mm-hmm. is a, just another whole um, issue when you're, uh, you know, in that kind of a condition. So yeah. he had a lot of time to, um, you know, reflect on his life. And uh, he realized that, uh, I mean, he had done uh, drugs and stuff like that as a as a teenager, and he realized how much he was trying to numb himself. And now he was in a condition like through drugs, and even music became uh, a numbing thing for him. He he wouldn't he would never let himself be without music. Uh, he'd get in the car, boom, music was on. Even in the mm-hmm. in, in the bathroom when he had a shower, as soon as he went in there, uh, put that music on. And so he was always. Uh, he wouldn't allow himself the uh, self-reflection time. But he said, now, he said, this pain that he was in was so loud, his personal pain, that Mm -hmm. he couldn't couldn't get away from it. And so Uh he was... He was sort of stuck there with his own physical pain, and then that was uh, bringing him down to some of the... um, uh, emotional stuff in his own life and that he had to make a turnaround. In fact, he even uh, sorted out, you know, when you're going through a tough time, uh, even, you know, even when it looks so bleak that you might die, you, there's always this little glimmer of hope. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, the, the little glimmer of hope that he had was that Maybe he needed to hit bottom in this whole condition in mm-hmm. order to come up again. And what this condition was giving him was time to go inside and see the ways in which he had been really pulling away from life. And sure. uh, now he could uh, say yes to life. Wow. Hmm. Wow, it is it is an incredible journey. Um, can you tell us with the the Let's Play House? Um, now, one thing I didn't mention is where you guys are located. So, can you tell people where you're located, and um, is the is the play still still going? Is that something that they can um, go see, or will, is it something that you'll take on the road? What are your plans with Let's uh, Play yes, House? Yes, both. We we uh, are in Toronto, Canada. And uh, but we've performed uh, at several conferences and uh, annual general meetings and, and things, um, uh, both Let's Play House and its uh, various offshoots. Uh, there's there are some other. It, it's a 55-minute uh, play. We also have 
um, a 15-minute uh, uh, dance drama, uh, and we've got another 50-minute play that's uh, uh, coming along very nicely, um, and uh, and a few other works that are related to it. Um, uh, so we're in Toronto, but we yeah we've been we've traveled around. Um, we've been flown out to Alberta, um, and uh, and and we're certainly open to. Um, uh, we'd love to come see, meet you, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Well, Minnesota's got great theater here. We're going to have to see what we can arrange. Yeah, it would be wonderful to have you guys here. Yes. Now, you all, you also have um, improv for Alzheimer's. Can you tell right. us a little bit what, what that is? I just find that very intriguing. Yeah, sure. Okay, um, so... Um, when I first was going to uh, the Alzheimer's Society and uh, reading all their literature um, and attending various meetings, uh, I kept on coming across uh, um, uh, recommendations for reminiscing with uh, the person with Alzheimer's. And um, yeah, that that's good. That's good. That's definitely good. Um, but uh, I, certainly for myself, and I expect for a lot of people, um, when they think about reminiscing with someone, uh, particularly with uh, someone with Alzheimer's, they might think this is going to be a kind of boring time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and Especially since they can't remember anything. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I mean, I did have I did have fun when I would uh, reminisce with mom, but uh, but uh, uh, I my my primary feeling was. Well, that's all right for talking about living then, but what about mm-hmm. living now? I, I mean, I mean, yes, as you are reminiscing, you are making this this very moment more alive and rich. But uh, but at least in what I was reading at that time, all the literature out there, I was not coming across much about living in the present. Uh, like, I mean, that's kind. Of, um, I should rephrase that. I've, I've heard. Uh, uh, people talk about oh Alzheimer's is in some ways it's it could it be considered a gift that you are uh, somebody's now f- almost forced to live in the present. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but but I still wasn't coming across anything about um, ways of of uh, engaging uh, playfully, uh, bringing out the playful uh, as- dimensions of of someone who has Alzheimer's. Um, and I had been doing uh, improv theater myself uh, before then, and uh, Carlin and I uh, together led an improv theater group for kids um, a few years ago, and uh, we and uh, so I started bringing um, uh, some of my um, improv studies. Uh, uh, to mom, and sometimes that would be um, a, a structured sort of formal game, and uh, sometimes it would it would, but, but even more than that, it would be, just be the the um, the uh, consciousness, the readiness to to see an opportunity for play uh, in any moment. Um, I, I, maybe I need to back up and just add something here, which is. Um, I used to. Uh, I, I said how mom used to uh, say, uh, tell her stories, and pretty much every story I heard coming out of her mouth sounded to me like a complaint, and they were a bit of a turn off for my attention. Uh, and then one day Carlin was here, and 
Mom was talking about um, this, uh, the difficulty in seeing a streetcar that when there's a, a bush uh, in the way. And uh-huh. uh, I heard it as a complaint, and I think Mom just thought she was telling a sort of complaint-filled story. But Carlin somehow heard great comedy in this. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and, and uh, uh, Mom, Carlin said to me that Mom was uh, is should be a stand-up comic, and, and that that's what stand-up comics do. They take their their <laughs> miseries and make them funny. And uh, well, I, I I began. And, well, the great thing too is that uh, Chris, I, I was laughing, and then of oh, course yeah. Christine would laugh too. She didn't know why she was laughing in a way, but but she, like yeah, she just because Carlin was laughing that right. Even though Mom hadn't begun telling it as a funny story, she got into the the fun of it too. Yeah. Well, they pick up on our emotions and our expressions, and I, I think that a lot of people don't um, don't understand that or don't appreciate that, and they they just don't notice it how big of an impact we have on one another. So how we show up is going to affect, mm-hmm. you know, how they react to us and how they continue. And so yeah. um, your laughter was a, was a perfect example of being able to shift what's yes. going on. That's right. Yes, um, and, and the system beforehand had, uh, it could you perhaps could be described in uh, the, as I was wanting, uh, yeah, at first my, my um trying to bring improv into uh into mom's life was something of a um i want uh, i'm going to help you discover the fun of being creative and imaginative uh so you can leave me alone <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I wanted her to start uh okay maybe she had some physical limitations and maybe she didn't want to go out but uh if Personally, if I were stuck in a room with four walls, I'd be having a blast playing, mm-hmm. uh, being very imaginative and being pl- pl- playful. And I wanted mom to do that. And I thought it would be just fabulous for her. And then I could get on with the things that I plan to do in my life. Because I, yeah, I just graduated from university and I had I had big plans for doing doing some good things. Um uh, well, and anyway. it's interesting that I think most of us as caregivers, if we want to admit it or not, we do have a hidden agenda. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your hidden agenda was, let's get this working for you because, man, it's really going to work well for me. Yes. <laughs> You're able to be over here. And, and, again, it's one of those things that I know for myself, I I didn't realize I had a hidden agenda because, mm-hmm. again, it's something so kind of covert and natural that happens, I think, within most of us that we don't Mm -hmm. even realize what's really motivating us sometimes until we sit and and truly break it down. The the other thing that I like with just even even the phrase, um, you know, uh, improv for Alzheimer's is that it's all about being playful again. And I think Mm -hmm. so many times with chronic illness, we get so serious and mm-hmm. we get so overwhelmed and so swallowed by the fear that we forget to smile and laugh and have mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. And and typically when we are a family caregiver, um, that's at the core of our relationships. Right. And, yeah. and, and we, like, put that up for sacrifice. I mean, we just, like, lay it on the table and say, take it away. Mm-hmm. It's all gone. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not all gone. Okay. We just have to learn new ways to play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of my sayings is live to be playful. And playful stands for the powerful last lessons of acceptance, which is accepting what's before you, forgiveness, because you might not always like the person you're dealing with or might have some issues, mm-hmm. or yourself. And then, uh, you know, going into that unconditional love, right. which, you know, Carleen, you, you know, showed us so beautifully with that story of, you know what, forget this, let's just be together. Whatever it is, yeah. let's just be together. And then the true moment of letting go, because you can't move forward until you step on the other side of the, the street. Mm-hmm. you gotta you got to cross that path. Mm-hmm. And um, once you can do that, the burdens, you know, as you guys have described, are just lifted, and you can have fun. I mean, you know, with my mom and I, she's in her very end stages, and, you know, very little communication, um, but more than what most people see because I've learned to look at things differently. I've looked to learn, look for different things. Mm-hmm. And and I've learned to tailor my expectations so right. they're not so high. Right. So a glint in an eye or a smirk or a smile or a word um, or a movement, it thrills me to death. Absolutely. Right, you know? right. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and so when you can, you know, be flexible, like I'm, I'm sure the improv teaches us, is go with the flow and be creative. And it doesn't. it's not about being right. Right kind of gets tossed out the window. It's just, you know, come back with something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then if it doesn't work, we'll try it a different way next time. Um, but just embrace what's there and, and do it in a playful mode and, and that's the only way you can really appreciate the moment, I think. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we, we get so wrapped up in our, our sadness and our loss. Mm-hmm. And, that's so, where, sorry, mm-hmm. and that's where humor sits. It sits in the moment uh, because it's mm-hmm. the, those quick things that you see that are funny, uh, uh, and you can't program those. Uh, so if you are in the moment, that's where, that's where the humor is going to happen. And uh, w- one of the losses that I had uh, experienced with Kirk was, uh, you know, the playfulness, because Kirk always had a, this wonderful sense of humor. Could always set me laughing over any number of things. When he was a kid, he uh, he would could do a great job of mimicking me, and uh, would just have me in stitches. And uh, we had this wonderful, you know, humor thing, uh, and I'd forgotten about that because I was caught up in the other uh, gross uh, condition stuff. Um, but uh, w- once I went into letting go, then the, uh, um, the the laughter started, and we would see little jokes, and, uh, um, you know, some hug was uh, at the end of something funny that we saw together, you know, and... Uh, uh, and I, I just I just remember laughing hysterically from one minute to the next with Kirk once we got into this new paradigm together. It's it is it is just beautiful. I uh, have shared stories, you know, over time of just my journey, and I use a lot of humor in my speaking and training. Um, and and people are just amazed at the stories, and it's like, but you have to look for them to capture mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. You, you know, and you have to appreciate the little things, and you have to be willing to laugh at disease, 
because yeah, um, there's there there are still treasures there and 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 Jonathan, when you had mentioned you know in in your bio about you know, I didn't really have this love for my mother, mm-hmm. but you've had a shift now, it sounds like. Can you talk a little bit about about that and and how sure. you got there? Yeah, so um, so a couple things we've already mentioned the, um, uh, the the that one moment where I or I said, uh, "Mom, I'm saying this because I love you." When mm-hmm. and like that was the first time I'd those words had come out of my mouth um, in well, I don't know 30 years, well 20 long time, um, and uh, and and then we laughed. Uh, mm-hmm. at that. Um, and then we we got beyond the, what had been so strongly um, a situation where it felt like every uh, every attempt at, by me to to, to help uh, was was treated was heard as a criticism. That's that was her relationship with her father and with uh, her bosses. Um, uh, at least that's how she told it, told the, the, that's those stories to me. Um, so when we got past um, the defense, um, uh, those automatic re- reactions, uh, and we're able to actually start speaking, that was that was a good, that was part of it. And then uh, Carlin being here and uh, saying mom was funny, and I and me experiencing. Mom laughing as Carlin started laughing. I started uh, I started opening up to that possibility and looking at Mom with a bit more wonder, and um, and uh, I I soon discovered that uh, that uh, I didn't want Mom to uh, go and uh, uh, play with creativity and imagine and imagination on her own and to leave me alone. I I actually was having a lot of fun. Uh, I'd had moments of fun, but I was having a—I was starting to have a lot of fun with mom, and um, um, and, and he, uh, Jonathan was becoming more attentive to her as well because when we would meet for script writing sessions and in rehearsal, uh, he was gathering stories. So uh, any funny little thing that she said, uh, you know, w- was written down. So he was, uh, uh, you know, just just excited about this woman that he didn't really know or consider or value even before. So all of a sudden she was giving him material, script material. Even even, uh, things that she would say which were by no means funny, if they could be totally infuriating to me, Mm -hmm. um, they became of great interest to me. Mm -hmm. So so that got me interested in mom. Um, And... um, um, gee, I'm having an Alzheimer's moment. Um, where was I? Uh, Were you going to Walmart? Um, the show? No, not yet. Um, uh, sure, I'll, I'll. So, so mom was so um, was so self-critical. Uh, most of the time, and she she, she was. Um, I, uh, on multiple occasions, uh, found myself uh, trying to imagine or research ways in which I could um, uh, hasten her demise. 
um, ways in which I could uh, lib- liberate her from from the pain of existence. Um, and I um, and, and and that I could get away with it. And and and, and, I, and I, I I even considered well, you know, um, uh, would it even be worth it for me to go to risk going to jail? Um, I didn't want to, want to wouldn't want to be there for ten years or twenty years, but but um, but I was considering those options. I really was because uh, I was going to be uh, at some level in jail. I, I thought for for who knows how long. Mom, at that, when when uh, I think mom was sixty three when I when I when it became clear to me that mom had Alzheimer's, and mm-hmm. um, and so. Uh, who knows? She could live for another thirty years, uh, even. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be probably not that long. Her body would probably start shutting down, but um, she could still live for quite a long while. And uh, what's better, living in jail where I can have some free time, or living <laughs> living living with mom where uh, where uh, I felt anything but free? Um, well, you know, I have to. Um Thank you for your honesty because most people don't even want to discuss those types of thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people's minds do go there looking at their options. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and we giggled at it, and I don't want anyone to take offense and think that we took that, you know, or taking that lightly. But people right. do have those thoughts, not that they're going to necessarily act on them, but it is just part of this whole emotional roller coaster when you're mm-hmm. searching for options. And it's so much easier to go have fun and play and let go than to go down that path of the dark and dreary and am I going to take their life and lose my own? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Path. Seems, yeah. Like, seems like a solution. <laughs> yeah, it, because there's, there's a much easier way to go about it. But it really, in order for us to get there a lot of times, we have to let go of our egos. Which sometimes can be in a, you know, a real struggle um, yeah. because you know we have to stop judging ourselves, we have to stop judging them, we have to stop judging the situation, the projections of what we think others are thinking and doing and saying, and um, yes. you know, how's this going to affect us? Because mm-hmm. you know, our minds typically think in terms of how is this going to affect us, even though we think we're totally caring for somebody else. Um, our, our minds are still like, well, what about me? <laughs> mm-hmm. And when you're exhausted from lack of sleep, oh uh, yeah, your mind your mind can go to really crazy places. Yep, definitely, yeah. definitely. And so it's good for you know people going through this process. I mean, to pull in the support. I mean, it's it's uh, you know beautiful that you two were able to help each other through this process mm-hmm. and, and, you know, come up with some great solutions that you're now sharing with the world. And not everybody will have that special type of friendship or person they can talk to. So, you know, maybe maybe you do go see a doctor and get a referral or join a support group. There is no shame in any of that. We're all learning how to deal with this. And yeah. by <clears throat> by being honest and sharing is really the only way we're going to change things. If we all lock ourselves mm-hmm. in a closet and think, you know, everything's fine, don't mm. worry about us in here, we're just mm. fine. Yeah. Um, and keeping up that kind of Stepford Wife image that, you know, life is perfect, because life is not perfect. Um, 
You know, anyways, mine sure hasn't been. You know, it's been mm-hmm. close at times, but most of the time, you know, it's it's just a road that's being traveled, and it's an adventure. And and if you can embrace it as an adventure, and what is there to learn from these lessons? Mm-hmm. And usually we have to look pretty deep inside, you know, for you to be brave enough to be willing to say, my son might die yes. and I can't fix this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that took, I can't imagine the strength that that took and the conversations that you probably had with yourself, mm-hmm. you know, before mm-hmm. trying to convince yourself and then your husband mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. telling your son Mm-hmm. Um, I, those are just those are not easy decisions to make, no, and no. Uh, because there's there's such inner reflections of who we are and and what what is truly important to us, and a lot of times we just don't think that deep because we're so busy with the outskirts of life. Right, right. Well, you, Laura, you talked about our um, uh, having each other to to work through a lot of stuff and we had mm-hmm. uh this theater piece that we were working on um mm-hmm. i i real i i've wondered about this many times i don't know where i would be if i did not or where kirk would be or the, the whole thing if i did not have this process and this uh buddy system you know this friend and jonathan and um uh, this process um, I, I don't know where my life would be right now. So I, I am just so grateful and, and you know, honoring the the power of what we've been through. That uh, certainly turned my life around, turned our home around. And uh, I think, as you say, you just never know what's going on in people's homes and uh, you know, behind closed doors. Uh, there's a lot of people suffering the way we were suffering and feeling very mm-hmm. isolated. Uh, and yet in in putting uh, this together, uh, you know, we were able to, um, you know, and having other people help to support this, you know, we were able to come through to, some, uh, you know, just a whole new uh, world uh, that changed our homes. Uh, and, uh, you know, Christine is a happy person now. <laughs> And mm-hmm. uh, and Kirk's life has changed, uh, and uh, Jonathan, you know, I mean, he's a different. We've all changed so dramatically through this, and uh, you know, I wish I wish this for everybody, you know, to have a friend, to have a buddy, to be able to work some kind of process that they can go through the kind of changes. And everybody's going to be different, you know. N- nobody's going to go through the the exact same thing that we did because everybody's got their own issues. But uh, I think that we're on to something here, and uh, man, I, I would just—I'd just love to be able to uh, help other people find their way as well. Well, and I think you know through your journey and and your productions and what you're doing, I, I think you definitely are helping people. I think you know through the play, through the documentary, um, if you decide to write a book or you know, going to conferences, you know, speaking about it. it you know, we're not in this alone. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the, the toughest things is when we are really in the thick of it, the loneliness, thinking right. no one understands, nobody gets this. 
Um, you have to reach out. I had a woman contact me the other night um, on my blog, and I was I was having one of those down moments myself where I was mm-hmm. like, what am I doing all this? I'm working my butt off. It's like, you know, yeah. and I was just doing an oh, woe is me moment. Yeah. And I got this, this text from my blog, and Chris just said, thank you so much for what you do. I just watched two of your videos. She said, I'm bawling. I'm going to keep this short, but I needed this more than I can ever tell you. Mm. And I I texted her back and I said, you have no idea Mm. how much I needed your Uh comment at that moment. And um, so we we ended up having a conversation uh, because I said, you know, if you need to talk, I said, you know, I'd be more than glad to talk because she's Mm. so isolated. She's... You know, she's a person like many of us. She's divorced. She loves her father to death who has the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not close with her siblings. They're, you know, they don't support him in the way she would like them to and the way that she does. Um, she lost her job and has just changed up. So she's going through um, several transitions, mm-hmm. you know, that are just heavy, heavy transitions. So we, we talked for about an hour, hour and a half on the phone. Um, and, you know, and it was just, it was great for both of us because, mm-hmm. you know, I, yeah, I've been on this journey for 30 years. Yeah. Do I know it all? Heck no. <laughs> and, you know, it's, I mean, it's a journey of life. And I think yeah. the second you think you have it in the bag, no. you know, someone's going to cut a hole in the bag. That's <laughs> right, it, yeah. And even just are, keep keep relearning the things that you think you already know. Mm-hmm. You know, you've exactly. got to go back, got to go back and let go again. Go back and, and let yourself fall in love. they shift and they change. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing is forever. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the the lessons of this journey is appreciating what we have and yeah. and I know when I when I kind of get in that dark sad place for me I you know I, I mean I feel, I've learned to feel the emotions and not to stuff them anymore cuz I used to stuff them mm-hmm. and um and I just let myself go there mm-hmm. and and then I can move through it and when I move through it then I can go deeper and say What's the lesson? What am I supposed to learn? And it's, you know, when I ask that question, once I've processed the emotions, I'm able to get the answer. Mm-hmm. And not mm-hmm. that it fixes it forever, but, it, you know, until the next time. Okay. <laughs> you yeah. know, because yeah. there will always be that next time. Yeah. But it's okay. And it's, you know, it's a gift of a process that has worked for me. And it might not work for everybody. But even just knowing to say thank you to somebody, um, and like I said, when when Chris even just wrote to me what what that did for me in the moment, and she just thought this whole thing was a gift to her, mm. and it was like this is a two way street. Giving okay. care is is not a one way street, and and many yeah. times I think we we really think oh, we're just giving care because that's that's what we call it, but Care-care, you can't right. give without receiving. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can put up limits in terms of what it is you're going to receive by the boundaries you've put up for yourself, you know, be it the fear and that we have to fix it, and, and we've all gone through that, or you can let those barriers come down mm-hmm. and not try to control it and just enjoy, you know, yeah. look for the joy. Focus yeah. on the joy because like anything else, you're going to, you're going to get what you're looking for. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so, I, I want to jump to three places which are quite disparate from each other um, in all mm-hmm. in response to what you just said. Um, okay. Uh, first is uh, you said uh, uh, if you write a book. Uh, well, actually, um, uh, one of the um, one of, one person who saw our show recently, we were performing in Toronto in July. And uh, uh, by the way, anybody who wants to read our uh, uh, reviews, uh, yeah, look, I guess we'll mention the website at the end. But uh, yep. there are some pretty articulate people out there who've. Uh, written some pretty nice things about about us and our work. Um, anyway, my, my point is that we were uh, performing in July in Toronto, um, and uh, one of the uh, audience members um, approached us and uh, wants to be a publisher for our book, uh, and which mm-hmm. we've just which we just started writing. And uh, so he wants to publish it, and he wants to uh, sponsor it. He wants to uh, basically it's a it's a substantial donation. Um, uh, so yeah, so we are writing a book. That's one cool. I wanted to make. Yes, 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 and we're very we're, exciting. And and you had a couple other things. Uh, yeah. Um, um, uh, I want to end up with uh, mom at the nursing home, and I want to begin with um, uh, back in those days when I was uh, still uh, when I was considering um, how I might. Um, uh, Help mom um, uh, to a better place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, assist her to a better place. Yes. Um, uh, one reason that I did not pursue that option, if, if, mm-hmm. I can, if we can call it an option, sure. um, is uh, that I I kind of knew that I, it was uh, damned if I do, damned if I don't. That was my thinking. That if I don't, uh, sorry, if if I were to. Uh, Proceed in some way with such an act, uh, I would, I would never be able to be open in a relationship with anyone. I felt that I'd be condemned in myself. I I wouldn't be able to, uh, even if I was, even if I told the truth. Like let's, say, let's imagine I uh, met someone who I got, who I got married to, and, but would I be able to tell her? Th- so if I was able to tell her the truth, would I still be able to be open in my heart? And I didn't think I would. Uh, and also, the, the, I had this fear that um, if if I've done that to mom, then oh, any one any woman who marries me, what's what's she going to think about her future? <laughs> she better not. She, she better not get too sick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, so that was part of what what uh, kept me back. Um, but, but yeah, just to add, I, I had read that uh, uh, some some people talking about um, with Alzheimer's, there uh, the person, the, the the wife or whatever, became more pleasant, and I thought, not mom, that would not work. Nice, I'm glad it worked for you, but that is not going to happen for mom. You don't know how how difficult mom is. Um, well, and typically as we age, mm-hmm. whatever our character traits were mm-hmm. just become stronger. So if we were kind of a happy-go-lucky person, that's typically what we'll be. And if and if we weren't so much, and again, but then you add a disease into, you know, the whole element, and then mm-hmm. that can really switch things up um, depending on the type of, type of disease and the patterns at hand and stuff. But, 
Yeah. Yeah, that is kind of an interesting process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and especially when you start compounding diseases. So not only if does mom have Alzheimer's, but she has these mysterious itchy spots that no di- that the doctors aren't be able to diagnose. They're able to call it pruritus, which is which is just a Latin word for itchy spots. <laughs> and 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 they don't know they still don't know what it causes it or how to treat it. Um, and so for four months, mom was more ravaged by that than by her forgetfulness. Uh, and then there was a nine-month period where I was up uh, on average seven times a night changing her, her shirts or, or, or we had towels in the bed because uh, mm-hmm. she was sweating day and night no matter what the temperature was. Um, it was uh, very perverse, well, very strange. Uh, and that never got diagnosed either. Um, so yeah, I, being up all all night and needing to get work done during the day, um, uh, yeah, those were trying times. Um, uh, and then along came uh, um, one morning. I woke up to the sound of uh, mom screaming, mm-hmm. and uh, I had heard her. Uh, sort of moan in pain uh many times um i don't uh but this was quite different and this like gripped me totally and i ran into her room and uh uh well it turned out that she was um i was wondering if she was having a stroke or or what was going on um called the doctor and called the ambulance and uh turned out she was having what's called an aortic dissection that means her aorta the big you know um, artery coming out of the heart the main one was uh was the blood was spurting through the walls the walls were falling apart uh and were being blown apart uh by the, every spurt of blood and um we got to the uh hospital and um uh she was in serious pain and uh, uh, they said uh, after ext- uh, a shockingly long period of time uh, they said to me that uh, sh- that uh, she would they asked me if she want if I wanted her to if I wanted to operate um, because she would be if they did nothing she would be dead within 12 hours and um, if uh, if we operated uh there was a uh, it was like a uh, i think it was a 70% chance that she'd be dead anyway that she'd die in mm-hmm. the operation and there was a like 85% chance that she would come out of it uh more um uh with with a lot more cognitive impairment mm-hmm. and so here i am <laughs> i've been wanting to have uh, some freedom uh, or what I considered freedom in my life and here my prayers have been answered you could say mm-hmm. but by this time I had fallen in love with my mom mm-hmm. and wow. uh, so so there's uh, so uh, I don't know I I I uh asked them to operate and uh and uh, uh she was and so she it wasn't a coma but like she was out for uh, a few days uh with the sedation um 
and eventually uh, got a call. Uh, I, I kept kept going in to visit her, but uh, I was hoping to be there when she, when she first aroused. Um, I wasn't, but anyway, we got there and uh, uh, just so beautiful seeing her uh, opening her eyes and and uh, she was definitely uh, for the first two weeks she was definitely um, showing it seemed she seemed pretty far out of it, but. Um, and her voice was all, uh, the operation had, had turned her voice from this lovely voice we used to love singing. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it had become very high-pitched and creaky and weird. Um, and I was concerned for herself, like that she was not recognizing her herself whenever she spoke. Mm-hmm. Things like that. But uh, anyway, um, several months well, later, her, her voice returned and everything was good again. Well, the amazing well, thing is, her. yeah, th- that, I mean... In the end, Jonathan chose life. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm definitely. Well, yeah. when I'm looking at, I'm I'm on your website just looking at some of the reviews, and Jonathan, I could hear you choke up with how emotional that story was, and and um, and you have apparently portrayed that in your play because some of the comments here are the honesty was mind blowing. You made me, you had me crying and laughing at the same time. So revealing, so touching. So much uh, spoke deeply to me. Another person said, I have no connection to caregiving, but I connected more with this show than any other. Um, When I tried to describe what I saw, I get chills. We were in awe. I mean, and then the list just goes on and on and on. And and what the two of you do is is what kind of what I do is I I, I call it emotional-based learning. You get to the heart, and when you can get to the heart, you can then shift the mind um, in terms of doing different things because it feels on a different level. And we're going to need to wrap up here because I don't want us just ending without being able to tell people how to get a hold of you. So do you want to give people your your, um, website address? Sure. Okay. Um, It's imagescape.ca we're in Canada. Um, so that's uh, uh, like imagine landscape. Uh, imagescape. I M A G I S C A P E dot C A. Okay, and that's the www.imagiscap is in Paul E dot C A. Well, I can't thank the two of you enough for being on the show. I truly, truly appreciate all the work that you're doing and um, how you're out there trying to shift and change the world. It's just absolutely um, a beautiful story that you both have and and how two caregivers came together to make some incredible changes not only in their own lives but in others as well. I invite our audience to join us for our next show, which is going to be out because I'm going to be traveling a bit here, um, October 14th. Um, We're going to have Soul Purpose on, and that is all about nurturing the hearts of those we care for. And um, Michelle is going to be, um, Mason is going to be uh, interviewed along with some of her cohorts, and she's just doing some just fabulous things um, that I can't wait to share with you all. And she will have not only um, some of the volunteers that she has to put this sole purpose event together, 
um, but also some family members um, that have gone through the process as well. And then on October 21st, we're going to learn about the George Glenner Alzheimer's Family Center. On the 27th, we've got Dr. Gordon Atherley of the Family Caregivers Unite program. And then in November, um, we're going to have Carolyn Brent and Amina Fuller, who is running for state senate. On, and Carolyn has um, written a book um, that's called Why Wait? And it's all about the baby boomer's guide in terms of preparing financially, emotionally, and legally um, for our parents. So thank you all so much for listening today. And um, we hope, again, that you will join us soon. And if you liked the show, please um, like us on Facebook, tweet it, email it. You can embed the shows into your website if you'd like. We appreciate all your support because, again, we can't do this alone, and we're in this together. Have a blessed day. Bye now. Bye. Thanks. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier. 